0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111.
1: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mastering Innovation, our show here on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Saikat Choudhury, Executive Director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management and a Professor of Management here at Wharton. Just as a reminder, we're live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and the show replays a few times during the week as well. Our show focuses on how established firms can remain innovative and handle disruption challenges. We bring in executives, industry experts, and academics as our guests to provide insights from their experience and work with us. If you have any comments or questions during today's show, just give us a call. The phone lines are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Coming up in the second half of today's show, I'll be joined by two women working in the front lines of innovation at Comcast, Danielle Cohn, Director of Entrepreneur Engagement, and Maya Baratz, Managing Director of the Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs Accelerator. But now I'm thrilled to welcome Malik Majeed. He's the CEO and president of PRWT Services, one of the largest minority-owned companies in the country. They provide business process solutions, facilities management, and infrastructure services to a wide range of clients, from small businesses up to the federal government. Malik, thank you for joining me here in the studio today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: First of all, just to get our listeners familiarized and situated, what are the services that PRWT offers? What is the scope of your activities? From a
2: business process outsourcing perspective, we cover the full gamut mail rooms, data entry, lockbox or remittance processing, printing, um, just to name a few. We also do warehousing, and when I say warehousing, that's pretty much on the information technology side. If most of us in Pennsylvania area we're familiar with Pass. Mm-hmm. We support Pass by doing warehousing and fulfillment of transponders that are used in automobiles so that folks can get around uh, this re- geographical region.
1: Wonderful, give us some examples of perhaps some of the clients you've worked with and what you do to the extent that you can disclose these things. <laughs> Um,
2: again, I, I did mention EasyPass, and I mentioned yeah. the warehousing of the transponders. We also do data entry. We support the Philadelphia Parking Authority. Mm-hmm. So what we typically do there, unfortunately, if you get a ticket in the city of Philadelphia, we're the ones that process the tickets for the Philadelphia Parking Authority.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So we do payment processing there. We have customer care on, the, on terms of that contract. So we're also the folks that you call when you have questions about how to adjudicate your situation. So we set up scheduling appointments for you to see the judge, as well as how to pay, and get on a payment plan. Uh, we also do mailrooms. So we support mailrooms for companies like Merck and Company, where we go in and we manage and support the mailrooms.
1: Yeah, so next time when I get a parking ticket, not that that ever happens, I know who to go to to get these things resolved faster, right? Well, it's a, it's a little <laughs> challenging because
2: if I get a parking ticket, for example, I have to pay it yeah. that day. So, you know, we're, we're <laughs> under some very strict rules. Those industries are typically highly regulated. Yeah. Now, on the facilities management side, we have a, a wholly owned subsidiary called U.S. Facility. Mm-hmm. And we do facilities management and infrastructure support. So we maintain buildings. We maintain buildings like the tripod complex in the city of Philadelphia, and it's integrated facilities management. So we do everything from maintaining the plant equipment to janitorial to uh, security. Now, we don't perform all of the tasks. So, for example, we're not a security company, so we subcontract out the security. Mm -hmm. We also subcontract out the janitorial. So we work with other companies, particularly small and other minority companies, to bring them into to support us to support our larger contracts, and then we also maintain buildings like the Defe- uh, Virginia Department of Transportation, uh, the, the headquarters down in Richmond, Virginia. We also maintain the Atlantic City Airport. So we we've kind of and we do work on SEPTA. We do work on SEPTA in terms of supporting their new payment technology uh, process around on the U.S. facility side. We support the maintenance of the equipment. On the uh, PRWT side, Mm -hmm. with our business partner, Conduit, we actually do fulfillment call center or customer care work in that regard. And we have a national footprint, so we do similar work Mm -hmm. in different
1: geographies, such as San Francisco and Los Angeles and Florida. Sounds like a very broad set of activities. I imagine that you didn't get there in one go, but this was a diversification over time Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we started
2: our business about 30 years ago, uh-huh. and we started out as a data entry firm Uh-oh. in Philadelphia. Our, our first and really largest contract was to support the Philadelphia Parking Authority. At that time, we were looking at ourselves and, and our model. We we're a very socially conscious or socially responsible company. Mm-hmm. So our model, if you will, was really to get out. And our chairman and for, and founder, Willie Johnson, was to really get out there and try to get at the time, women back into the workforce. You had the mothers. Uh. They were out of work. They'd get pregnant, have children. They'd be out of work. And he was really looking for a way, because he's a former social worker. Yeah, They were looking for a way to get mothers back into the workforce so that they can provide for their families as well. And so we had the big data entry uh, process going. And then over the years, it evolved from data entry to printing and fulfillment to other things as we embrace technology and we move forward with providing services. And then in the year 2000, we were looking at other opportunities from a business perspective. And at the time, our U.S. facilities is what we rebranded the company as. It was part of a company called Halifax Corporation in Mm -hmm. Virginia. It was up for sale. We looked at it, thought it would be a good fit for us from a service delivery perspective. And so in 2000, we purchased U.S. facilities and brought that into the fold. That company has actually been in existence uh, consecutively for 50 years.
1: So it sounds like the social mission and the development mission and the promotion of uh, diversity has always been part of the company. Oh, absolutely.
2: It is a part of our ethos. Everything we do is built around making sure at the end of the day we're a part of the communities in which we live and work. So I spend a considerable amount of time Besides my what I'll call my life during day to day work life, I spend a considerable amount of time working externally, working on the boards of like the Union League. I mean, the, well, I wish I was working on a board of the Union, League, <laughs> but the um, um, Urban League of mm-hmm. Philadelphia, also supporting schools like Newman University, who have a mission to also get out and help others. The virtual hospital, I'm on the Finance and Facilities Management Committee there, and a lot of our workers spend quite a bit of their time from a community outreach perspective just getting out there and working in the communities and being actively involved. It's not just about a paycheck for us, it's about making sure we bring those communities up. Yeah.
1: Fascinating. Um, Clearly, technology plays an important role in your various services and offerings. We live in a world where there's rapid advancement of technology. How do we keep up with all that? How do you do that as a manager, as thinking about all these things? You know, your businesses are changing all the time, too, due to technology. Absolutely. Well, one of the things
2: we do first and foremost is we make sure we know and understand our industries. We make sure we know and understand our business processes. And we have subject matter experts supporting every aspect of our businesses. Mm -hmm seminars whether it's webinars seminars trade magazines and but the bottom line is at the end of the day you got to stay close to your clients you got to listen to your clients know and understand what they're dealing with Mm -hmm. in order to come up with the appropriate match Mm -hmm. that'll meet their needs Mm -hmm. because we're not a consumer-based company Mm -hmm. We're, we're we do things that are core to what we provide, but non-core to what other businesses need. They need it from a day-to-day perspective, but they don't consider it core to their operation. So that's where we step in, and we provide what I call that back office support to allow them to function successfully.
1: Now, outsourcing, especially in technology, is something that interests me in terms of my uh, research and work as well. Um, And so I'm very curious, when you engage with one of these clients of yours and they're large uh, organizations of various kinds. How do you approach that relationship?
2: We typically approach that relationship from being a value add or a complimentary Mm -hmm. um, partner. And we call ourselves, and hopefully they consider us business partners because at the end of the day, we can work in two respects. We can partner with someone where they're the prime and we're the sub, Mm -hmm. or we can be the prime or take the lead and they're the sub. But for us, it's a synergistic, it's mm-hmm. a synergistic relationship where you typically have a forte or an expertise that they see as value add and or, and or complementary to what they provide. And you come together and you carve out what I'll call the scope. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully you're able to deliver on your end. They're able to deliver on their end. And you kind of live happily ever after if things work out.
1: It sounds really easy. I love the idea. A few important things here that I'm picking up from you. I mean, on the one hand, we think of outsourcing or the the public view is always often a negative one. Uh, The second one is the misperception that it's only about cost, whereas like you're emphasizing, it's often about accessing expertise on the other side. Even if an activity is perceived to be not perhaps the core, it allows the vocal firm to focus on the core. You help with the complementary activities. And I love the idea of synergy, but especially partnership. So I imagine you have longstanding relationships with the clients?
2: Absolutely. On the business process outsourcing side, for instance, one of our longstanding partners is currently named Conduent, mm-hmm. uh, C-O-N-D-U-E-N-T, formerly Xerox, mm-hmm. uh, formerly ACS. And prior <laughs> to that, they were Lockheed Martin, uh, information systems, and prior to that, Datacom, and that goes back to the start of our company on the business processing side. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the facilities management side, we have partners, but believe it or not, on that side, we're more likely to be a prime because we have positioned ourselves from a facilities management infrastructure support perspective Mm -hmm. to go in, provide the expertise, technologies, typically things that we work on in that area, as opposed to on the BPO side, yeah, yeah. there's a huge investment typically involved with trying to bring up one of those companies to support major transportation yeah. systems, particularly on the tolling and transportation side. As I said, those companies were the likes of an ACS or yeah. a Xerox, whereas that huge investment, and prior to those uh, companies being uh, taken over, the company Lockheed Martin, yeah, huge investment, mainframe computers that can handle... Millions of transactions. Uh, and that's just an investment that obviously a company of our size we weren't able to make. Sure. So what we tend to focus on is providing complementary mm-hmm. systems that allow us to integrate with those systems to continue to provide Our services,
1: yeah. Now, creating a partnership with all those variables involved, such as the organizations you're dealing with, the different size and nature, the businesses, but also the technologies, you make it all sound so easy. What are the challenges in performing (laughs) these services for your clients?
2: Well, I got gray hair, so it's not as easy as it sounds. I can't see the gray hair. (laughs) (laughs) But but some of the challenges, to be honest with you, there is an element when you're particularly when you're on the outsourcing side where people think it's a commodity. Yeah. Uh, and so they look at being able to perform data entry as data entry is as data entry is. It's not that hard. What they don't sometimes understand is how to deal with volume.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot of volume. What they don't understand sometimes is that there are systems that integrate with main systems that allow you to be able to perform those transactions more efficiently than effect- and effectively than others, whether it's bolt-on technology that ultimately impacts the end user, which yeah. is our partner's clients in, in a lot of cases, or our customer's clients. So what we tend to do in that regard is we try to make sure at the end of the day people know and understand we have the expertise, we've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. As a result, we're able sometimes, and in a, in a lot of cases, I won't say sometimes, we're able to go into a customer, yeah. look at their business process, We have subject matter experts who know and understand the variations of that business process. And then we're able to sometimes talk to them about ways in which they can improve Mm -hmm. the current process that they believe a lot of times is the right process.
1: So that's where the expertise comes in. And I imagine that you start with simpler activities that you do for others. And then subsequently, you gradually move towards the more sophisticated or complex activities. Exactly. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Makes a lot of sense to me. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Saika Choudhury, and I'm speaking with Malik Majid, CEO of PRWT Services. Now, um, when it comes to actually managing innovation and technology, you know you've got a number of years of experience with that. What are the biggest lessons that you've drawn over time? Because things change. Absolutely. I-, I think the
2: biggest lesson that I've learned over time is balancing what I'll call leading edge and bleeding edge Mm -hmm. technology. Leading edge technology is tried and true, proven. You want to be able to use those things because they have less risk associated with them, and a lot of times they have less expense associated with them. But sometimes you find that the bleeding edge technology is where the market is going. It Mm. might not be ripe at that point in time, but that's where the market Is going so you got to kind of balance out the decisions you make with regard to how you use technology and and when you might pull the trigger on moving from say leading edge technology to bleeding edge technology. Case in point, and this is I don't know if this is a good example, but I think it'll make the point. Mm -hmm. Right now, we accept payments in a number of different ways because one of the uh, services we provide is remittance processing, lockbox processing. We have applications on the web that we will front-end our clients with to support them. We'll provide that front-end application that allows for payment processing, whether it's send a check, go on the web, call.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, you've heard of this thing called Bitcoin. Absolutely. I I will call Bitcoin bleeding edge as it relates to what we do. We're not quite ready to handle Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. but it appears that it's coming. So Mm -hmm. it's really a matter of timing and when you would look to implement something like that as Mm -hmm. part of your process.
1: Some kind of cryptocurrency, obviously, you know. So how do you balance that? I mean, when you, you know or you think it's coming, how do you balance your investments, your resources, and how do you convince your clients that they need to think about these bleeding edge things and not just the leading edge or the radical versus the merely incremental innovation?
2: Well, a lot of times it's balanced by cost. Um, our clients, we, we and our clients together collectively are constantly monitoring what our customers, or our end users, want to see. And at some point, you find that the weight of the customer prevails in terms of what they need to see in order for them to feel like they have a successful service being mm-hmm. provided. Mm-hmm. And so it's really that balance of looking at what the customer wants what the cost is associated with it, what Mm -hmm. the risk is. Because, again, a lot of what we do is also in highly regulated environments. And so we have to balance that as well because everything that looks exciting and new and innovative doesn't necessarily allow us to pass muster from a regulatory perspective. Or, you know, you have issues when you're dealing with some of the services we provide where there's there's a lot of controls. Mm-hmm. And segregation of duties, mm-hmm. and so at the end of the day, when you implement technology, you also have to be looking for the consequences but also the unintended consequences mm-hmm. and It's the unintended consequences that sometime slow things down until people really got a handle on mm-hmm. what the um, you know what will result from a change in your process, for example,
1: do you find yourself in situations sometimes where you know something's coming? And it would be in the interest of your client, your customer, to actually invest in it or embrace that development or change, but they're not ready to. And and if so, how do you deal with it?
2: Well, we at the end of the day, the customer is always right. And we can find ourselves in that situation and show the customer that, look, this is where things are headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's up to the customer really to pull the trigger. And you can get a pilot sometimes going in a very small environment, where they'll start to look at it. And over time, it'll evolve a case in point, easy pass. If you remember when easy pass came into existence, gosh, now 20 plus years ago, you saw one lane open for easy pass. Yeah, the rest had toll collectors. Yeah. And then over time, you saw a gradual shift to less toll takers and more easy pass lanes. Yeah. And so It's kind of even in that environment, it's it's very measured Mm -hmm. and typically implemented gradually to make sure, one, we have a handle on how to do it, two, they have a grasp and understanding of what's being done and
1: that they're comfortable with it. Makes sense. It's more of an evolution. And I guess if you spot it soon enough, you have the time to be able to take that uh, evolutionary and gradual approach as opposed to rushing or trying to scrambling in order to catch up. Exactly. Yeah. Now, you've got such a range of different kinds of customers, both in terms of size and the nature, private sector, but also government. And I'm really intrigued by that because when the likes of IBM, you know, these big giants in these fields, they try and take on the small and medium-sized sector. They struggle a lot. They're good at big company. And then other firms, you know, might just focus on the small and medium-sized segment. But you do the entire gamut. Tell, I mean, how do you manage that? And adapt to these different needs. Well, I,
2: I like to describe us as being nimble and flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, we are used to working with all size companies, mm-hmm. uh, providing value add. And so what what really, at the end of the day, allows us to cross lanes in terms of small versus medium versus large mm-hmm. is our flexibility, mm-hmm. is our ability to be able to go in understand a particular process or processes, mm-hmm. and shape the environment in a way that best fits for the client mm-hmm. and ultimately fits for us. Because at the end of the day, our business model has to be able to support
1: it. Mm-hmm. But how do you maintain that flexibility in your organization? That sounds easy to do. Everybody struggles with that. It's a cultural.
2: Uh, strong leadership, I would say. From mm-hmm. a, and, and at the end of the day, leadership drives your culture. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to have strong leadership, but you also have to have a collaborative environment where everyone is willing and able to adapt. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things for us is a matter of having that strong leadership from a culture and creating that right environment from a cultural perspective Mm -hmm. that keeps us really engaged and able to work at varying levels from a business perspective. And
1: clearly, like you said, setting the tone from the very top is Mm -hmm. very important, but also in your mission, which brings me to something that you said earlier. You know, clearly diversity is very important to you in terms of impact on society, but also in your company. And I was wondering, you know, being a minority-owned business, have you perhaps faced any additional challenges that one may not have otherwise faced? Um, and how do you deal with that?
2: At the end of the day, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Or at least from my vantage point, from my colleague's vantage point, the answer is yes. Because we find ourselves as having to always prove we can do it. Yeah. Most people, when they meet us, uh, they want to know. Now, we've been around 30-plus years now. So your it, you have a track record. Your track record helps. But most of the time, when even when I go into a meeting and in, in, you know today, if I go into a meeting, I may find myself in a situation where people are like, you can do what, or you do what, or you've done what, and they really want to know and understand how are you able to do it. So the real answer is yes. As a minority-owned company, you are typically – forced to deal Mm -hmm. with those kinds of things like Mm -hmm. how have you been able to do this Mm -hmm. is what we're reading on your website real Mm -hmm. Um, but as long as you can keep the dialogue going Mm -hmm. and they start to know and understand you have the subject matter expertise yeah it's a it's a small hurdle that you just have to overcome. That's just our reality.
1: Yeah, and and you know, but I like your approach, which is that we read a lot and hear a lot about you know the problems and the issues, which mm-hmm. you've also articulated. But getting to the solutions is the harder part. And I like your attitude. You know, you're saying, look, you know, I invest and and demonstrate I'm knowledgeable, and then we kind of get over that hump. Right. You know, and uh, we wish we were in a world where that would not even be an issue. But if it is, here's how to do it. And the good news is, the more we're able to see success stories like this, the more those biases might uh, go away at some point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, coming to the solutions point as well, um, what do you think how how exactly does diversity help within your company? Like what does it do?
2: Well, it helps within our company because you will find from a business perspective, whether yeah. it's on a commercial side or the government side, there has been a push, particularly the government side it has existed a lot longer than it has on a commercial side, whether mm-hmm. it was mandates by the government that said thou shall have a certain complement of staff mm-hmm. or, or uh, complement of a contract has to go to minority mm-hmm. uh, vendors, if mm-hmm. you will. On the commercial side, it started to pick up momentum in the last 10 or 15 years, particularly with organizations like the National Minority Supplier Development Council mm-hmm. and the Billion Dollar Roundtable. And so what happens for us is a lot of times because of our track record we will get the call if mm-hmm. you will to say hey look there's this long standing business process outsourcing facilities management infrastructure support service provider yeah headquartered in Philadelphia that probably can help you on a particular contract mm-hmm. and so you get together with those companies and you talk about scope mm-hmm. and you talk about your areas of expertise vis-a-vis their areas of expertise and you come together and create a viable, workable solution. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the partnership comes in.
1: Mm -hmm. And how do we promote more minority businesses or entrepreneurship and innovation by minorities or for people to appreciate more the value that having different kinds of people in an organization? Because the science tells us that. We know that already. How can we actually organizationally create a culture and an environment where we promote that? Well, I'll tell you, there are
2: organizations out there National Minority Supplier Development Council, Eastern Minority Supplier Development Council. Um, There are other businesses out there, but companies themselves can do it as well. Uh, What we do is we pride ourselves on being mentors. So an entrepreneur can feel free to give me a call, Mm -hmm. have coffee, Mm -hmm. lunch, dinner. We can talk about their, you know, aspirations sometimes because they're just an entrepreneur trying to make that next step. Mm-hmm. If they're in business, what we typically try to do is we put our money where our mouth is. Mm-hmm. We support each other by buying from them uh, oh. services or products, goods and services. Um, and, then, so and, and then lastly, as I mentioned at the start of our conversation, we will bring them in as subcontractors mm-hmm. to become a part of our delivery model. So there are several things we can do. And then the other thing you do, quite frankly, is you have to make sure you have a diverse workforce. Yes. Because to the extent that you have a diverse workforce, now you're talking to talk, you're walking to walk. You have a culture that is diverse. Yeah. People see that there are other people of different races, nationalities, and so forth that Mm -hmm. can deliver, Mm -hmm. uh, gender included. Mm -hmm. And then it it becomes more of a momentum Mm -hmm. shift around how society looks at the issue of being a minority and what minorities bring to the table.
1: Are there perhaps certain advantages to having a workforce that is very varied and comes from different backgrounds and perspectives?
2: I absolutely believe that to be the case. Um, I've always said there's diversity of, you know, race, gender. Uh, ethnicity, but there's also diversity of thought, yes, and I think having individuals from different backgrounds, different cultures, when you bring them into your organization and as long as there's collaboration and communication mm-hmm. absolutely that's how you get that diversity of thought, which allows you to even be an even more innovative.
1: Yeah, and that's really an important point. And that's really what the the research suggests, too, that more diverse teams along all those dimensions that you mentioned actually give us many new perspectives, ideas, right. insights, and better outcomes. And so it's something that we've demonstrated over time. It's just it's very hard to remove these biases, perhaps, that right. people might have. Ex-ante, sometimes unknowingly, I think right. that's part of the problem, mm-hmm until you make a concerted effort to actually um, go and, and promote those activities. Fascinating. Um, on a personal level, you know, you've achieved quite a bit, you know, and you're extremely successful, wonderful role model in so many different ways as an innovation leader, but also on the minority side. What advice would you give to young people looking to make a career in entrepreneurship and innovation what are some thoughts that you have, any advice that you would give based on all the experience that you've gathered over time?
2: A couple of things. I, I would say, one, it is very important that you get into the details. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one for knowing the details because I think the devil is in the details. And to the extent that you know the details, then you can deviate from the details mm. uh, and or you can innovate from the details, is this step necessary? If so, you know why, why not i, I I'd also say, don't be afraid to think differently.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, don't be afraid to ask why or why not mm-hmm. because those are important characteristics of being able to innovate. Uh, I've been fortunate to have experiences that have taken me from being a security guard who knew a little bit bit about computers when I was 18 (laughs) years old because one of my brothers is an electrical engineer, and he exposed me to computers and programming Mm -hmm. to becoming a computer operator, Mm -hmm. going on to get an MBA in finance. And from there, I went and became a commercial banker because I wanted to learn about different businesses. So I chose the commercial market, the middle market, because that's where you really have the diverse set of businesses. Yeah. From there, I graduated, if you will, to law school because I found myself in banking doing a lot of revolving credit agreements. Yeah. And so I said, hey, I might as well be a lawyer. (laughs) So I think I've always been trying to innovate from a personal perspective and and connect the dots in terms of all of my experiences. Now, I wouldn't recommend that people follow the same path that I have followed. And in fact, they probably don't need to. I I just think at the end of the day, they need to have a willingness to work hard, willingness to look at things differently differently. And a willingness to ask why or why not, but you but fundamentally speaking, you have to really know and understand your endpoints what 's needed, why it's needed i I often tell people you can see the forest for the trees that 's an awesome trait to have, yeah, but take a little bit of time and understand a little bit about the trees in the forest as well
1: well you're certainly a shining example of uh, someone who's achieved a lot but also sets. You know, a wonderful role model and reinvents himself and keeps learning. That's something that everyone can really benefit from. Malik, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Where can our listeners perhaps follow uh, what you're working on? What's the best way? We well, our website www.prwt.com, our holding on
2: subsidiary website www.usfacilities.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our Twitter feed. Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn.
1: Wonderful. We need to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'll be joined by Danielle Cohn and Maya Barats from Comcast. I'm your host, Saika Choudhury, and this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM 111. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School,
4: Sirius XM 111.
1: I'm Saika Choudhury, Executive Director of the Mac Institute and a Professor of Management here at the Wharton School, and this is Mastering Innovation on Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm thrilled to introduce my next guests, Danielle Cohn, the Director of Entrepreneur Engagement for Comcast, and Maya Baratz. Managing Director of the Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. They're doing very interesting work, and I'm thrilled to have Danielle and Maya on the show today. Danielle and Maya, thank you very much for joining me.
4: Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's
1: wonderful to see how you're working together. The first thing I want to do is figure out how you guys help Comcast with innovation and entrepreneurship. Danielle, let me start with you and your role um, tell us about what you do and how you help Comcast promote entrepreneurship and innovation in the company.
0: Absolutely. So, I'm Danielle Kahn. Um, I started here at, at Comcast NBC Universal about a little more than three years ago. And uh, it, the main goal of, of the role was to open the doors wider for startups that were focused on uh, product innovation in media, entertainment, and connectivity and open the door wider and to connect those startups, mostly working in tech, with business leads across the whole company. And our primary goal is, you know, we're looking for new product innovations. We're also looking to um, provide mentorship and access to great talent who work here at the company. Uh, We're headquartered right up the street from Wharton in (laughs) Philadelphia, where we're building our new Comcast Technology Center. And uh, really, the, this role is, is about carrying on the legacy of our founder, Ralph Roberts, who had a very, very much an entrepreneurial spirit. And, uh, and now our, our CEO, Brian Roberts, continues that momentum. And uh, we have been really excited to bring in a partner, Techstars, to work on one of our programs with us. Uh, which is the Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs Accelerator, powered by Techstars. And Maya is the managing director of that program. And so I'm an employee of Comcast NBC Universal, and Maya works with Techstars. I can tell you more about about her role.
1: Perfect transition. You did the hard work for me, Ma- um, Danielle. Now, <laughs> Maya, tell me, what's the complementary role that you provide?
4: Sure. So as Danielle said, um, I'm managing director over at Techstars running our program that's partnered with Comcast and so Danielle is my partner Um, and my role is you know Techstars is an investment vehicle and an accelerator. Um, We have 39 accelerators all over the world Um, and then this new exciting program with Comcast in addition to all of the resources and mentorship we provide Um, on the Techstars end, which is a proven accelerator um, that's produced over 130 company exits and we're the first accelerator in the world to have a company that's gone through our program that's IPO'd. Um, In addition to all of our resources, we're really excited to bring to the table um, Comcast's uh, resources and mentorship so that the companies that we invest in and that will go through the accelerator will have the best of both worlds um of both the you know the Techstars network and the Comcast network and we're really excited about um uh, this is our first year that we're going to be running mm-hmm. um and our cohort's going to begin in July and we will be supporting the next um you know the next batch of really interesting uh media connectivity um Com- media and connectivity companies, uh, and, and as Danielle kind of you know pointed out, and we're interested in a whole slew of interesting verticals um, that we're looking at, and we're really excited for this first batch.
1: Very very exciting. Now. Um, it's what you represent is how innovation is done these days often, which is that we don't just limit innovation to inside the firm, but in fact, we look at what are our goals for entrepreneurship and innovation, and we sometimes look outside. So Danielle, from your perspective, what was the need that you guys saw to bring in Maya and Techstars in order to help you with this program?
0: That's a fantastic question because we did a lot of due diligence around uh, different companies, but also do we do it ourselves? And what we found was when we talked to founders, and we've spent the last three-plus years doing a lot of listening tours and going around the country and to London and Tel Aviv and other other parts of the world and asking startups, how could we develop the best program that would be most valuable to you, the startup, the founder? And we started with our customer. And by asking that question, we heard many things about things that, that could help them outside of funding. And one of the things was if you are going to choose an accelerator partner, um, it would be great if you choose the best um, that, that they have seen and, and heard from lots of, lots of peers who have also gone through different TechStars programs that the idea that TechStars is kind of with you for life. That you get access to this Mm -hmm. incredible mentorship network inside Techstars, outside Techstars. Add in our mentorship network inside Comcast, NBC, Universal, across the whole company, meaning Comcast, NBC, Universal, Universal Pictures, Universal Theme Parks. Mm -hmm. Um, We knew that together we'd be even stronger. And and part of what we we are are doing here as well. I'm part of the team that's called Strategic Development. Yeah. Under Sam Schwartz, Chief Business Development Officer. Yeah. And one of the keys to our entire team of 75 people, as part of the you know Comcast larger team, mm-hmm. um, the job is to really find ways to partner with outside companies. And so we knew that by partnering with TechStars, we would learn from them. They would learn from us. We'd both be upping our game. And most importantly, that we would develop an amazing program that founders will hopefully be excited to fight to get into.
1: That's wonderful. We're the beneficiaries of that collaborative ecosystem approach, too, because, in fact, Comcast is a member of the Mac Institute's corporate network. And uh, we work with firms around the world to uh, help think through uh, these innovation challenges established uh, by established companies in particular. Now, there's one thing both of you have been focusing on the uh, strengths of working with each other, which, of course, makes a lot of sense. Uh, underlying that is a challenge, which is that a company like Comcast, which has you know very established um, and has been transforming from a cable company to a media company over time, clearly has many strengths. At the same time, there are certain things that incumbent players, just historically, have been um, challenged in doing when it comes to dealing with technological change and new opportunities and entrepreneurship and so forth. So, Maya, I wanted to ask you from your vantage point. Um, where do you see the challenges for these large established players, uh, even as you fulfill the role of trying to augment this and, and help nurture startups that could help someday?
4: It's a great question, and I actually my i have a i have a deep background in in that. So before I began working at TechStars, I was working in both startups and in larger organizations. So I ran new product development at Disney's ABC News. Um, and when I wasn't building new products, I was always on the lookout for interesting new um, solutions to problems that we were seeing. Um, and so I was very much in the middle of that equation of trying to figure out how to best make um, how to best connect the dots between an early stage company and a larger company, which obviously has, you know, a very different timelines, very different goals, sometimes, um, and and different methodologies for for achieving those goals. Um, and what I found was that there is there is definitely a way but there's definitely a formula that works in, and in each company, it's, it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it depends a lot on the companies that you bring in and how coachable they are and whether or not their, their product is fluid enough to be massaged for mass consumption. Um, but you know, finding the right companies at the right time. And the right teams um, is really important. What we what we say at TechStars is our biggest decision. Um, we 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 decide what companies to bring in on a number of different factors, but, but the biggest factor is the team itself. Yeah, um, because we see that. Companies can change over time. Um, you know, many companies that are very successful end up changing and pivoting many times before um, they become what you recognize it to be on, a, on you know, on, for a mass audience. Um, the one consistent thing is the founders, mm-hmm. uh, and so investing and bringing in the right types of founders um, usually has a lot to do with whether or not there's a great um, potential for true product market fit and for a true fit with a larger company.
1: So Maya, let me let me stick with you for a minute. So let's take that further. So let's say you have a startup, you're promoting it, it's doing really well, and it's of interest to Comcast. How do you then make the connection so that Comcast can benefit directly or indirectly?
4: It's a great question. and It's a true partnership. um, And you have to have a true partnership for that to work. So, you know, if if a company looks interesting to us and we'd like to you know bring it into the cohort obviously we'd want to make sure that it's something it's a it's a company that would be very warmly received in Comcast and that it's a company that would fit um, and would you know not just with the business goals but would fit um, into and align with you know the business units within the company so we'd want to make sure that there's a potential for true true a true product market fit in there um, to make sure that that would work And, and it's really it's 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 a hand-in-hand type of partnership it wouldn't work any other way Um, and it's 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 really making sure that the goals everyone's goals are aligned both you know and and I always kind of go for the triple win so you know it has to be a win for uh, Techstars it needs to be a win for Comcast Mm -hmm. and then most importantly it needs to be a win for the founders that we're um, investing in and bringing into our fold
1: Makes a lot of sense. Sorry, go ahead. Add
4: on to that, if I may. um, What we've been doing for the last
0: year is meeting with business leads from our end across the whole company to ask them what are the focus areas that they're really looking for innovation in, and we're able through that process to identify five core areas: connected life, next generation marketing, entertainment everywhere, digital wellness, and smart places, and and through that process. Uh, We were able to identify subject matter experts in the company, mentors from the company, champions. Um, At the same time, uh, you know, while we're looking for things that are in those focus areas, we've also been working with Maya to make sure that if there's a, a moonshot or something that isn't necessarily in one of those defined focus areas, but... Uh, she believes is really exciting for us to look at, that, you know, we're really open to that as well. And uh, that's a wild card. And we're really open to those, those two, because sometimes you don't know what you don't know.
1: No, Daniel, and and that's where I was actually headed um, with my next question, which is, you know, how you make the connection on your end, but also, uh, what's the end goal here? So are you looking at, I have to ask this, uh, I'm a scholar who looks at tech acquisitions for many years. So are you looking to acquire these startups, for uh, instance, or have partnerships or invest in them further, or is there any end goal, or do you take it on a case-by-case basis?
0: It's all a case-by-case basis, and each company is so different, and some are going to change during the time that they're here for Techstars and pivot. Some come in and may stay the course. Some uh, may fail. Some may succeed.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: we are looking at it from many, many different ways, but I'd say all of the above, uh, we don't have one necessary, you know, necessarily one end game. Um, what we have committed to is to put the founders first mm-hmm. and give them the support that they need so that they can thrive in this program. And that we're going to they're going to commit to spending the time with them, giving them access to business leads for feedback, mm-hmm. be willing to amplify their story, which is what we are probably best at. Um, we, we can help people hone in a little bit on their story um, help them pitch their stories and amplify those stories to uh, to many many people uh, through our very vast network. And so um, that's I think for us there is no one there is no one thing. Um, our, our primary goal though is has been product innovation. Sure. We have that at the center and the core. And we know that if we commit to uh, to that with the founders, we will have great partnerships that. Uh, some some may last a lifetime, and that's what we're hoping for.
1: That's great. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Saika Choudhury, and my guests are Maya Barats and Daniel Kahn of Comcast, and we're talking about innovation and entrepreneurship, how to work with startups as a large company like Comcast. Now, There's one theme that I wanted to get to because it's an important topic these days, which is women in tech and innovation. And clearly both of you represent that. So we know from a lot of science and there's a lot of evidence that diversity of various kinds, including gender, improves innovation and entrepreneurship outcomes. And so uh, that we, you know, people may not all accept, but I think that's well established out there. Now, there's a lot more debate, though, on how to actually bring in women into tech and and provide an an environment in organizations in order to make sure that diversity is brought in. So what can organizations do to promote more women in innovation and entrepreneurship? Perhaps Maya will start with you and then Danielle after that.
4: Sure, absolutely. Um, You know, making sure that we are well-representing founders in the full spectrum of their backgrounds um, and interests and, um, you know, be it ha- having them be women or um, of color or uh, of, of coming from a different um, economic background is, is really important to Techstars. Um, and, and I know that it's really important in this particular partnership as well. So there are many different ways. I, you know, I don't believe there's one singular answer. Um, what I do know that you have to be very proactive about making sure that um, that you bring in um, the full spectrum of, of founders that you'd like to see. So some of the things that we've done um, in in recruiting companies for this particular program is we've we've gone out of our way to do things like host a women's um, founder brunch and women investors pa- investor panel at South by Southwest mm-hmm. um, we've gone to black tech week um, we're we're going out to the places that we think we're going to find um, really strong potential leaders that come from any background and that's really important to us because we know that um, to, to build the, the truly most successful companies that will be inclusive and, and with products that are – and businesses that are inclusive, um, you need to start with the founders, and you need to start with, with founders that truly represent a full spectrum of, of uh, inclusivity. So it's, it's really important and top of mind for us um, as we're – from the very bottom up um, as, we're building, uh, as we're building these companies.
1: Yeah, because people always complain that the intake or the initial, you know, uh, pool is not big enough, and so you're working right uh, to fill that pipeline as well. What about you, Danielle? What do you think, both in the startup context, but also in the larger company context, uh, like Comcast?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it really comes down to a few things, and and it's it's about walking the walk.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
0: you know, we when we started this program a few years ago. Uh, we've, been, we've been very much focused on making sure that the widest array of people from everywhere, many, many different cities, many different neighborhoods, all backgrounds, men, women, um, it has is, it is absolutely been top of mind for us in this program. Mm-hmm. Um, diversity and inclusion is something that is very uh, close to this company, and under the leadership of David L. Cohen, uh, this is something that he oversees directly for the entire company. Diversity and inclusion is a core value of this, this company. Um, and so I've, just as an employee here, has been um, have absolutely seen great opportunities for People of color, for women, um, and for people from many backgrounds. So uh, it's absolutely a, a core value of the company. In terms of, of female founders in this program in particular, and also for for people of color and uh, the the full the full breadth of diversity and yeah. inclusion. Um, you know, I think between Texters and Comcast WC Universal Lift Labs. Yeah. We have been uh, we've been sponsoring and activating at Dreamers and Doers, which is a female founder network, a supporter of uh, Black and Brown Founders, mm-hmm. as Maya mentioned, Black Tech Week, um, and uh, have been featuring also a lot of founders in our own blog and and, uh, and access to uh, stories that, that we've been able to amplify. Mm-hmm. Again, our focus has been on finding founders from everywhere because we are true believers that innovation is going to come from anywhere. It can come from the dorm room at Penn, (laughs) right? Um, And there's some wonderful research that's been done by First Round Capital and others to really show the value of a female founder on your team. At the same time, we don't want anyone to feel like we are, um, you know, not open to working with men.
1: <laughs> of course, of course. Otherwise, so, we're going to uh, be the ones who are mean. You know. <laughs> so, you know,
0: diversity is, yeah. is, you know, is really all-inclusive. And, it, you know, great teams, great founders. And what we're going to continue to push is that we know that teams that are made up of a wide variety of people and ideas and different perspectives are going to be the most successful. And and we're excited to see that already the the applications coming in mm-hmm. for TechStars are coming from a, a wide array of people and places. And and that work that we've done the ground the groundwork is certainly paying off in that way.
1: Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, merit um, is clearly important. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to source wherever you can get that talent from. Um, and that's really important, and then help those areas where diversity perhaps not been represented traditionally to really reach that goal. And, and I, I think that's that's wonderful. Any final uh, thoughts that you have, Maya, on this or or the work that you're doing?
4: Sure. Yeah, we're we're really excited to get geared up for this first cohort of the program, and so our applications are now open for, for about a, another week. So any companies that are you know interesting um, and in the you know media, entertainment, or connectivity uh, spheres are definitely encouraged to apply. Our application deadline is April eighth, and startups can apply by going to techstars.com/comcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we look forward to, to seeing more applications come from Philadelphia and from other, other places around the world.
1: Well, wonderful. I think that's uh, really a great opportunity, and uh, I know since we, you know, a lot of students also listen to our show, I hope that they will also partake. So, Danielle and Maya, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. How can listeners find out more and also follow what you guys are working on?
0: Sure, so they can go to Comcast, NBCU, mm-hmm. or Techstars.com slash Comcast.
1: Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much to both of you. Look forward to chatting more in the future, but I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. It
0: was so great meeting you. It's yeah, wonderful. you for having us. Thank thanks you. for inviting us on.
1: Absolutely. Hopefully we'll meet in person very soon since we're not far away either. Yeah,
0: definitely. Right. <laughs> we'll have you down the Lyft Labs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Perfect. I will definitely take you up on that. Unfortunately, like all good shows, that's all we have time for today. Thank you all so much for joining us. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, email us at businessradio at com, And be sure to follow our show on Twitter at BizRadio111. And you can, of course, follow the Mac Institute at our Twitter handle at Mac Institute, as well as on our website, where we'll also be posting about the show. Once again, a special thank you to our guests today, Malik Majid, Daniel Khan, and Maya Barats. I'd also like to thank our producer, Brian Drew, as well as our sound engineer, Tatiana Zamis. Until next time, I'm Saika Choudhury, Executive Director of the Mac Institute, and this is Mastering Innovation on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111.
0: For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.